That's because Colette is a much deeper, more insidious problem. If you edit that to say, I think your mum is a deep, insidious problem, I'm gonna kill you. Hi, I'm Sid. And I'm Orla, and this is The Fate Escape, a podcast where we talk about people who came up from nothing. Sid, who are we talking about this week? Well, you know who we're talking about this week, Orla. We I do, are talking I do about know. Oprah Winfrey. You get a car, you get a car, everybody gets a (laughs) car! And if one viewer would check under their seats right now, they will find a car. Um, They're probably sat in a car, if that's the case. uh... So, let me tell you something. I had a whole plan for this week, and it was going to be so cool. And you were going to love it. And then I was working too much and didn't execute it. So what I was planning to do this week was get in touch with your mum and create a plan in which she taped a bunch of notes under the chair you recorded <laughs> um during which i would say okay check under your chair and you would find number one and then you would open it and it would have like a fun little prompt and that was going to be a really like cool interesting exciting surprising way of doing things and then what right. happened was i worked 48 hours last week and so I okay. didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's more than fair. Um, that also would have been really weird. So, you know, I'm okay with that. <laughs> about it. Uh, I had no such plans. Uh, fair enough. But, okay, I think I should jump in here and say, so normally, as hopefully the regular listeners will know, the way we do this is that one of us researches and the other person doesn't know who they're researching until the episode and then they learn about them this week we're going for quite a big name obviously with oprah and so we thought we'd you know just try out both of us researching them and almost compare notes you know bounce off each other a bit and um we'll see how it goes um. yeah so actually when we decided we were going to do this um which i think is a really great idea and i think we're probably going to do maybe once every sort of five episodes um hmm. And or or whenever we have somebody that we think warrants that kind of attention, um, not that the last four people that we did, it's like <laughs> you don't deserve it. Um, yeah. But what I thought when we started doing this research and when I looked at kind of like Oprah's life and stuff and did like my initial reading, I thought, hang on, you know, this is kind of a simple timeline. Um, it's kind of a this happened, this happened, then this happened. Um, And I decided that I wanted to take a little bit of a different approach because I figured that for you, as I would say, I'm probably more pop culture literate and more interested in pop culture than you are, would you say? Ouch, but yes, thoroughly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm, I'm, you know, dated pop culture is probably more my forte. Um, not current pop culture. Yeah, exactly. So, like, when it comes to... I spend a lot of my time reading TV reviews and reading film reviews and reading about the theory of comedy because I like to make even the most interesting and fun things nerdy and pointless. Um, I was going to say, that sounds like the most depressing thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) So what I decided to do this week was look at not necessarily the point-by-point of Oprah's life because I figured... One, you're better at researching than me, so you'll have that pretty covered. I decided to kind of look at the cultural impact of Oprah and the importance of what she did when it came to the shifting of the needle within pop culture. 
Um, is this, does the Obama election tie into this at all? Yes, the Obama election does tie into this. Cool. Just, just thought I'd check. Well, to be fair, that, that probably works pretty well because I did a lot of research in her early life and then I sort of got, I got to the point and I got to about 1986. So when around the Oprah Winfrey show started being televised nationally and she was, you know, this huge success. And I got to the point like I did with Ella Fitzgerald where I was like, and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And so that's the point where I was like, well, I've kind of, kind of done her start from nothing and then it just gets, you know, less interesting from here so but that's probably when she had the most influence so we've sort of informally divided her life into two parts yeah kind of so i don't really have that yeah let's i think what we should do is we should just get into it and start discussing it and hopefully by the end of this i can convince both you and the listeners the readers that art and that pop culture and things that are maybe often considered frivolous and pointless are some of the most important things um, that we can study within society. I'd like to put in a brief caveat here because I have I have a feeling that your argument's going to come in. But look how much art and pop culture influence politics. Politics is is also not important. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so let's get into it. Yeah. Um, Oprah Gail Winfrey was born on the 29th of January, 1954, in a small town that was Kosciuszko, Mississippi, USA. And now, she was originally born as Orpah, O-R-P-A-H. Um, which is incredible. Which is from, yeah, but that, that's a name from the Bible. But a lot of people had trouble pronouncing it, and so essentially everyone just started calling it Oprah, and then, you know, that became her name. And I... I empathise with this quite a lot. Oh my god, it's uh, happening, it's happening. <laughs> um, Tell me how hard it know, is to I, pronounce Hugh. Well, exactly. Well, I was I was born Hugh, and my siblings kind of couldn't say it, and like my mum decided she didn't really like it, so everyone started calling me Sid <laughs> from when I was a baby. And that is how I became Oprah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that is how Sid became Oprah and does jazz hands. Um, so one thing that I think is really important to note about the birth of Oprah is that she was born in uh, 1954, um, which was less than 100 years after slavery was abolished in the United States. Um, And, you know, before the kind of real... The moments that I think people who perhaps don't know much about the American civil rights movements can specifically point to, um, like the I Have a Dream speech and the March on Washington... Um, weren't to come for another almost 10 years after she was born. Um, I think almost 10 years. Um, Yeah, less than 10 years. So it was 1963 that the I Have a Dream speech, the March on Washington happened. Um, Which was around a year. Sorry, which was around the um, 100 years since the abolishment of slavery, because that was 1860. Yeah, so that's the kind of thing Uh, that you have to think. It's less than 100 years since slavery was abolished, which means, you know, within like remembered generations of um oprah's family the people that she was growing up around there were people who had experienced slavery been born into slavery for example or had parents or grandparents who were born into that and these like massive steps in civil rights um these like pinnacle moments in civil rights were yet to come for another 10 years her childhood was very much right before the cusp of things beginning to take a step forward. Can I interject with two almost entirely unrelated points? Yes. Um, 
first of all, my flatmate from last year, who's one of my flatmates this year. Um, so your flatmate. He's yeah, yeah. I don't know why I said. Well, but he doesn't live here yet this year. So currently, he's not my flatmate, but he was and is going to be. Okay. But anyway, um, his grandfather was born in the 1880s. Damn. Which you what? know. <sighs> Yeah, so that's really cool. Wait, um, no, I have a lot of follow-up questions about this. I'm no, like, listen, love you, Oprah, but I'm going to need to talk about this for a little while. Well, I just I just think he was um quite old when he uh, had his mother. Um, My gran is old. She was born in... No, but I mean, like, wait, your gran... That, that makes him what? So he was born in the 1880s? Yeah. That makes him 50 years older than my grandmother. Yeah, but he was, like... I think he was in like his eighties when he had. Oh my god, get it, gal! But you know what I mean, like that. That's. um, (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. But yeah. So that that was my one thing. My other thing was, this I learned about this chap who, uh, upon researching him further, turned out to be Winston Churchill's maternal grandfather. Ugh! Don't bring up Winston Churchill. Um, Okay, but cool link here. (laughs) Yes. Um, But during the eighteen sixties, there were riots in New York. Um, Essentially, there was. Again, Lincoln had a draft um, for people to fight in the Civil War. And a lot of people, I think it was especially the Irish, weren't happy about this. Essentially, them being sent off to die for black people, I think, was the mentality. And they were attacking and burning down institutions in New York that had backed Lincoln's war. And one of these was the New York Times, the officers of the New York Times. And Winston Churchill's maternal grandfather, as a private citizen, defended the New York Times building with a Gatling gun. Um, what? Why which is just Winston the coolest shit everywhere in history i'm actually so uh, i don't know why you would know this but a fun fact about me is that i deeply hate winston churchill on a fundamental oh wow level. really and you know there were a lot of reasons to hate him you know like the racism concentration camps the con- yeah um a lot of stuff but the reason that I actually hate him the most is because he just keeps popping up. Like, he doesn't know when to quit. Every single aspect of history that you study, like, between sort of, like, the late 1800s and the, like, late 1900s, he's just there. And I'm just like, calm down. Not everything's about you. He does have a good name, though, doesn't he? He does. Winston Churchill. You know who it's else just, has a good it's name? Got, it's got the cadence. Who? Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey. Well, and you know who else had good names? Her parents, who were called Vanita and Vernon. Oh, uh. they nailed it. They did nail it. It's a shame that they weren't like one of those, like, obviously, um, as we'll come on to, you know, she went on to live with her father kind of later during her teen years. Um, yeah. And so, obviously, Vanita and Vernon weren't um, hanging out together a lot during her childhood. But the idea of them walking into a cafe and everyone being like, guys, it's the Verns. Vanita and <laughs> Vernon are here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's just such a shame that they weren't a better couple. <laughs> Come on, Vernon, Vern. Vern. You um, could have been something. <laughs> but as, as you alluded to there, Oprah later said that her parents were together only once. Um, and that's, that's where she came from. And so they separated soon after Oprah was born. And Vanita moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin to find work, leaving Oprah to be raised by her maternal grandmother on the farm where she was born in Mississippi. Um, Now, we do not like her grandmother. Mm. She was abusively strict and apparently would beat her for the slightest reason. Um, And I I have a little Oprah quote from here. 
which is even at three years old, I knew what I was experiencing was wrong. I was beaten for the slightest reasons. Spilled water, a broken glass, the inability to keep quiet or still. My grandmother's home was a place where children were to be seen and not heard. Um. And I think that kind of you read a lot about this when it comes to her early childhood in fact most of her childhood about the fact that she was kind of constantly belittled constantly made less than and constantly put in situations where her personhood was questioned you know we'll come on to it the fact that she's spoken about um being a survivor of sexual assault as a child um all of these scenarios in which her personhood and her autonomy was questioned and i think that when you go into her later work particularly her work in the 80s and 90s where vulnerability and openness and human connection became such an important part of what she did um I don't know I think you can really clearly see the link there it's so easy to kind of criticize the impact that um Oprah's dedication to kind of openness had because there's this kind of line that some people draw of the beginning it was the beginning of like this um overinvestment in celebrity life and this needing to know literally every single vulnerable thing about a celebrity but I think actually it's just a really wonderful testament to how much she reclaimed her own personhood and wanted people to take ownership of their personhood what do you mean when you say personhood I like <laughs> just that identity as a person is yeah this... I think the things that are yours like specifically yours and specifically belong to you you know so like your bodily autonomy but also your mental autonomy your ability to make your own decisions your ability to say who you are and mean it okay yeah see i support that and yet for some some bizarre reason i find the word personhood so annoying (laughs) (laughs) um anyway we're on the farm She's being raised by a mean, mean grandmother. Um, but despite this, she she was a really bright child. Um, apparently she learned to read at the age of three. Iconic. Um, and I actually delved into this a bit, because I don't know much about when kids learn to read. And according to www.healthychildren.org, most children learn to read by six or seven years of age, and some children learn at four or five years of age. A fun so, fact is that www.healthychildren.com is my favourite website, so I already knew that. Okay, well, (laughs) fair enough then. Um, But, like, Oprah would read passages at her church from a really young age and showed an amazing ability to, like, memorise and recite verses and was nicknamed The Preacher, Um, which seems like a horrible nickname, personally. (laughs) For a small child. Yeah, but she also apparently used to perform in front of the animals on the farm. Um... So yeah. I mean, it's important to have a, a, a like an a passion. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> I bet the cows were moved. <laughs> oh, I hate you. Sorry. <laughs> um. So, Oprah started kindergarten at the age of five. Um, but was allowed to skip the first grade after she wrote a letter to a teacher. Uh, when she started school, saying that she should be in first grade, basically. That's incredible. Um, but in 1960, when Oprah was six, her grandmother uh, fell ill and she moved to live with her mother um, in Milwaukee, along with her half-sister. But apparently, yeah, they were, it was like a guest house where she was living, so like other people were living there at the time. And one of the guests took offence to Oprah and um, 
essentially Oprah was forced to sleep on the porch uh, her first night living there with her mother um, which is incredibly incredibly sad incredibly sad but yeah Vanita was not well off at all really she worked as cleaning houses as a maid uh, but had to rely on welfare numerous points when raising the kids and there's, you know, Oprah was dressed in used potato sacks for parts of her childhood. Like, they were they were that impoverished. It was truly, truly dire. Um, and you've got to think that this is, you know, poverty in the 60s. Poverty as a, as a young black woman in the 60s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Oprah's mother really struggled to cope. Um, and as a result, Oprah was sent to live with her father and stepmother, Zelma, another great name, in Nashville, Tennessee. And this was in 1962. Um, and now I get this consistent thing that Oprah's father really really loved her um, and like was almost her saving grace Mm. Um, but I think from what I've read I still think he personally I think he was a little bit strict later on but we'll come on to that but you know she she came from this really horrible toxic environment with her mother to live with her father and her stepmother who couldn't have children of their own so you know they you know, truly appreciated Oprah. She had her own bedroom um, and was regularly taken to the library by them. Um, She attended church, just a much better quality of life. And she started making speeches for various things um, and was at one point paid $500 for a speech. Incredible. Which is a lot of money today. Well, exactly. Um, I can't find out the context in which this was, but... I think... You know, it... Yeah. One also, like, really important bit of context is... It's incredibly wonderful and incredibly lucky that where she moved to was Nashville, because I did just a little bit of research into um, now. Na- so Nashville now is um, obviously the center of country music in the United States. Um, yeah. But I wanted to learn a little bit more about whether or not that was the case in the sixties, and it was. So like in the late fifties early 60s it was an absolute like center of culture well, isn't that and where music johnny cash uh johnny cash was from that yeah johnny cash yeah. and jim reeves and the everly brothers like genuine like oh. pure country music was being made there and so radio was a massive part of life in nashville at the time like the number of stations that were playing country music radio stations across the country went from about like 80 in the early 1960s to about 500 um in the late 1960s um and so much of that was because of the country music association which was based in nashville so radio was a massive part of culture down, down, down in the burning ring of fire. <laughs> Sorry, I'm on a Johnny Cash kick now. Um, but anyway, she was paid $500. Again, I couldn't find out the context for this, but I looked at, you know, a lot of different sources and they all said this. <laughs> I couldn't find out where it came from. Um, but she was, and it happened. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and she knew she wanted to be paid to talk, essentially. Now, shortly after this, Oprah's mother called her back to live with her in Milwaukee again. Um, so this is the following year, 1963. Again, I don't have a great motive for this. I think possibly because she now saw her as a possible source of income. Mm. During the interim, when Oprah was gone living with her father, Oprah's mother actually had a third daughter, who was also named uh, Patricia, who was put up for adoption for financial reasons. And Oprah didn't actually know about her in 2010. And I think she was reunited with her on the Oprah Winfrey show. Yeah, she's spoken about it a lot, and I watched it, and it made me cry. Um, 
I didn't watch it because I uh, I didn't want to cry. Okay, fair. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Oprah in 1963 goes back to live with her mother, and things are bad again. Oh, shockingly. shocking! I wasn't um, expecting that. Yeah, Vanita had another kid, <laughs> Jeffrey, and Oprah, her half sister Patricia, and half brother Jeffrey shared a room in the two bedroom apartment. And Oprah had to babysit her younger siblings a lot while her mum was at work. And during this time, was raped by various male members of her family. Um, first at age nine, by her 19-year-old cousin, who then took her out for ice cream and told her to keep it a secret. And also by an uncle and a family friend in the years that followed. Um, it's just which, awful. Yeah, 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 there's there's really not a lot I can say. That That's... But she goes to this really traumatic period in her life. Um, and gave herself, like, I don't know, somehow gave herself the power back and was able to make... I don't know, was able to pull herself out of that and become the person that she is. Like, there's no... There's no, like... I don't know. I don't know quite what I'm trying to say. Um, Just that that's fucking horrible and fucking traumatic well and and it it got worse for oprah before it got better um she ran away from home at age 13 um but you know not not for not for very long and vanita decided she couldn't cope with her behavior and sent her back to nashville to live with her father um and she also became pregnant at the age of 14 um her son was born prematurely after seven months and died within two weeks of being born which is a story that was sold by a family member to the press in 1990. Um, which, of course, it again, was. Fame, yeah. fame corrupts. Fame exploits. I think. But yeah, you can sorry. see it now. Like the circle that Oprah keeps is so close. You know, her her husband, um, Stedman, uh, Stedman Graham, her husband. Um, is very rarely seen in public, is very rarely spoken about because it's so clear that she had this kind of meteoric rise and then chose I... to lock it down. I'd like to comment really quickly. I don't think he's her husband. I think he's her long-time partner because I don't think she wanted to feel like she had to rely on having a husband. Oh, you're right, actually. Um, but I might be wrong there. What a patriarchal yeah. way for me to say that. Yeah, I did, well... <laughs> no, but um, I think it's just important to note that you know she she didn't want to feel like she had to be married to someone. Mm. Um, so yeah, sorry, just important distinction there. But obviously not your fault. You know that's that's uh, a slip of the tongue. Um, but yeah, so Oprah goes through this terribly tumultuous period um, in her life, and you know during this time she was acting up in school a lot, understandably you know, skipping classes and just, yeah, really struggling. But when she was sent to her father, you know, that, that really changed things. And she later said that her father saved her life, basically. Because he was really, he was really strict. And I'm, I'm sort of, <laughs> the level of strictness he was, I don't like, to be honest. Um, so apparently he wouldn't let Oprah have dinner if she hadn't learnt five new words every day. And he also required her to read a book every week and present a book report at the end of the week. Damn. That might have helped her a lot. And I'm not saying structure doesn't help kids, you know. That is obviously a lot of structure. Amazing things. But that, yeah, that's sort of at the point where... I don't know. So I was raised 
like I wasn't allowed to watch TV in the week growing up. We we were only allowed to watch TV at the weekends. Um, but the idea, you know, so like, I'm I'm not used to not having rules. I'm not saying <laughs> let kids run free if they need some sort of discipline. But I don't know. Not not letting her have dinner. She hadn't learnt five new words. That that feels mean. It's to pretty me. mad. You should look up. Um, there's this YouTube video called like Free Range Kids, and it's gonna make you so angry, and you should watch it. <laughs> Possibly. Well, I was free range in other ways. Um, like my mum, we used to like camp up in the in the trees at the end of our village and just like you know sleep in the, sleep on the ground and stuff. And my mum was chill with that. That's because <laughs> Colette is an icon. Colette, I love you. I'll just cut that out or I'll edit it to be like Colette, I hate you. No, you just say hate. <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> I'll never say hate in the context of Colette. But anyway. Uh, Oprah's father, again, I, I sort of, it makes me a little uncomfortable how strict Santi was, but it, it really worked for Oprah. Um, and she had always been a capable student at school. Um, and in her early teens, she'd been transferred from the Lincoln High School to the private school that was Nicolette High School, um, which was uh, an early success of the Upward Bound program, which is quite nice. Mm. And actually just done a, slightly out of the timeline here, but like, there was a massive poverty gap between her and the other students, obviously, and she, she you know, on some uh, accounts stole money from her mother at points to essentially keep up with the other kids. Um, sure. But, again, living with her father, doing much better. She was an amazing student. Um, she participated in the drama club, the debate club, and the student council, and was voted most popular in her school. Most popular girl. Um, most popular girl. Because the boy, the most popular boy... Yeah was, I'm going to be honest, better than Oprah. <gasps> <laughs> Who was it? I don't fucking know. Oh. <laughs> but he, but he's, like, upset now. Did not measure oh. up. Anyway, I'm just trying to think. I was going to make a joke. Oh, this is when we find out it's so-and-so, but I can't think of anyone. <laughs> That's when we find out it's Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't know. I'm still backing Oprah here. Jake Gyllenhaal annoys me. I don't know why. I just think the idea of Jake Gyllenhaal and Oprah Winfrey going to high school together is really funny. Jake Gyllenhaal's got a very punchable face. Mm. Uh. Colin Jost, who's Scarlett Johansson's husband and a comedian, um, has a memoir called A Very Punchable Face. And do you know yeah. what? He does have a very punchable face. So I sub- Yeah, it feels awful, but yeah. I don't know. Anyway, in 1970, Oprah won a speaking competition at the locals... uh, I'm going to start again. In 1970, Oprah won a speaking competition at the local Elks Club. um, And now the Elks Club was an American fraternity. Um, And the prize was a four-year scholarship to Tennessee State University. Bitch, I won so many. Like I was going to say... While this is amazing. Yeah, get it, Oprah. What the fuck? <laughs> I've won so many speech competitions. No one has... Did you? Yeah, bitch. All right, okay. <laughs> uh, I don't think I've ever participated in a speech I've competition. I've won things. Um, no one's ever given me free money. <laughs> but I have gravitas. I think we're getting off topic. But yeah, I just think that's like Sit the best prize. be bitter for... Yeah. <laughs> fuck you, Oprah. Uh, <laughs> That's I'm the gonna, leader. I'm gonna cut that. Fuck you, Oprah. I love you, Oprah. 
Um, Oprah, you're anyway. you're a billionaire. Sponsor us. Pay for our university. Thanks. She's not just a billionaire. She is one of 16 black or interracial billionaires in 2021 out of a total of 2,095 billionaires worldwide. Wow. Seamless. How many of those, uh, uh, what, six did you 16. say? 16. 16. How many of those are women, black women? I don't know, but she was the first black female billionaire, um, which she achieved in 2003. And actually, that brings me on to an interesting sort of tangent here, which is... Would you not characterise Oprah as a girl boss? Um, <laughs> I don't think there's... All up. Any... I want you to pause right now and just prepare yourself to say, Sid, you were right. I think you don't necessarily know what... The extent to which I use girl boss as an insult. Follow up. I don't want to speak ill of Oprah, but I don't think there's any ethical way to be a billionaire. And also... Whoa. What? So you're saying you're better than Oprah? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> I'm not saying I'm better than Oprah. In no way am I saying oh I'm better God. than Oprah. Um, I have no chance of ever becoming a billionaire. Um, I just think, yes, Oprah is a hashtag girl boss, and I, I don't know, I would not feel comfortable speaking in any way that criticises the incredible achievements that she's made as a black woman in America. Um, but I will say that she is not the only black female billionaire. There is another. Her name is uh, Folaruncho Alakija. If I've pronounced that wrong, I'm really sorry. Oh, is she the the manager of PepsiCo? I is she? Is she? I don't know. I don't she's know. the she's the I vice chair of uh, Fam for Oil. Oh no, maybe she's not. She's a Nigerian Sorry, also... oil billionaire. Get it, girl? That's yeah, a girl that's not boss. Who I was. <laughs> so I was okay, but just to summarise that, Oprah ethically consumed under capitalism. In 1971, uh, Oprah was invited to the White House to attend a conference on youth by um, President Nixon, essentially, on the heels of this uh, speaking competition, I think. Um, and she represented Tennessee, along with one other student. Um, so obviously that's a that's a big, big deal. And on the heels of this, we got a lot of heels happening. This speaking competition really did wonders for her. Um, and again, totally deserved. But we do have this, this sort of... This... this I know she's gaining momentum, essentially. Um, and it's one thing led to another, and she keeps excelling. Um, and after this White House conference, she was crowned Miss Fire Prevention by the local radio station. She was crowned Miss Fire Prevention. Miss Fire Prevention. And now, don't we all dream of being Miss Fire Prevention? Who was, again, who was Mr. Fire Prevention? And was it Jake Gyllenhaal? No, it was actually Smokey the Bear. <laughs> I've just made a very American reference there. Nailed for it. a very niche Crossing part of our viewership. Crossing cultural lines. Viewership? Listenership. As in your girlfriend um, and no one else. Yes. Cool. Uh, and Tobias. Aww. Uh, um, but yes, uh, and 
So she was crowned Miss Fire Prevention by local radio station WVOL and was hired by them to read the evening news. Uh, and this was during her senior year of high school. Mate. And so, you know, what you were saying earlier about, you know, radio stations being a really big thing in Nashville, she's now actively reading the news on a radio station. Um, so that's cool. <laughs> that is really cool. Um, and so that was her, that was high school for Oprah. Anything to jump in with at this point? Uh, I just spilled water all down myself. Fascinating. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Orla. Um, I really love the two sides we can bring to this. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. I um, started work at 6.30. So I have very little sympathy. Uh... Oprah no. then goes into yeah. broadcasting. Let's talk about her career in broadcasting, how it got started and how she became a mogul. Yes. Um, sorry, I didn't know why this had to be so insulting. You mogul. <laughs> you fucking mogul. Um, anyway, after high school, she attends um, Tennessee State University. Why wouldn't she? She got a four-year scholarship. Studying a bachelor's degree in speech and performing arts. During this time, she entered a lot of beauty pageants. At age 17, she'd become Miss Black Nashville. And during her freshman year at Tennessee State University, she became Miss Black Tennessee. Um, which you know, again, I, I just I, I, other achievements in another part of her life, but like, I don't know. I don't like Miss Black Nashville. Why? I think this. Well, because this again, I think emphasizes the division, um, and this this sort of characterizes how it was segregated at the time. Or it maybe wasn't just it's Ms. just Nashville. a particular way to celebrate like black individuality and black womanhood yeah i guess so i i just i think i didn't take it like that <laughs> given that it was in the uh in tennessee in, in the 70s, in the 70s. Yeah, yeah great point great point <laughs> um yes it could well have been and let us not assume because um, when you assume she was, you make an ass you make an ass out of you out of you and, and me, me. Um, quite so. But also, while she was at university, she um, twice turned down a job offer by the Nashville Columbia Broadcasting System before finally accepting on the advice of her speech teacher, who basically said, well, this is the reason people go to college. Mm. And so this offer was essentially she broadcast nightly on TV uh, was and was the co-anchor of the local evening news on WTVF-TV. And in doing so, was America's first African-American female co-anchor, as well as the youngest news anchor in the country. Iconic. But, and now I think this is very important to note, she wasn't great at it. Hmm. Um, essentially, she struggled to maintain her poise um, during some of the more devastating things happening on the news. Yeah. Um, which is just so Oprah. You know, she she is all about emotions. She's She's... I don't know. It, it. I think to ask her to be distanced in any way, and of course, she's more than capable of doing that. And she does that later on. But she's in college. She's a young woman who's gone through all this strife, and then hearing about these devastations, she cracked up a bit. I think. Yeah, and there's a difference between being like an unflinching reporter and being unaffected. Like you can be unflinching and yes. dedicated and raw, but being unaffected. And just specifically, like, news-focused, not particularly, like, acknowledging the impact. That's not a good reporter. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, and also she was very young in this position. Um, so she was removed from this position after about nine months. Um, I should note, not fired. She continued to work uh, for the company, but in lower roles. Mm. Um, so after graduation, again, with a bachelor's degree in speech and performing arts, she was hired by WJZ TV in Baltimore as a reporter. And so this is in 1976. And soon after, she was again promoted to co-anchor. And then in 1977, she was moved to co-host the morning talk show, Baltimore is Talking, or possibly People Are Talking. Different places say different things. I think it might have had both names at different points. Um, with Richard Cher. Um, and so this is where Oprah hits her stride. Mm. You know, and like Oprah is known for the Oprah Winfrey show, which th- she's not there yet, but this is her starting to get onto that track. And this is when people start taking notice. Yes, yeah, so she becomes a main figure on the show. She ended up working there for the next seven years of her life. But her ratings in Baltimore, her ratings, the ratings of Baltimore's talking in Baltimore were better than those of the Phil Donahue show, who was a national talk show host. Um, so, you know, she's sort of already showing that she can make her mark. Yeah. And she also, this is just, a, this isn't particularly related to anything, but during this time she also hosted Dialing for Dollars Baltimore, um, which was a TV show where at the beginning they gave a password and then during the show they would ring people up and if the people could say the password they'd said, then they'd get money, which sounds like a pretty cool TV show. Sounds like a uh, bit of a rogue idea, but I'm rooting for them. For me, when things become, like, really interesting in the career of Oprah is kind of the competition and the publicised level of the competition of her ratings um, when she was working um, in Chicago um, versus, like, Phil Donoghue. Yes. And kind of the idea that people, you know, he was such a household name and she took it from this, like, low-rated talk show to... Um, like the highest place in ratings. Well, yes. Um, which we will we will come on to now. So first of all, I feel kind of bad for Dil, uh, Phil Donahue because basically not because she dicked him, you know, she did amazingly, but because people always use him as the comparison. Mm. But yeah, in January 1984, she moved to Chicago to host the struggling talk show AM Chicago, and now she got this job after her manager Deborah Demao sent the general manager of the American Broadcasting Company. Sorry, of the Chicago affiliate of the American Broadcasting Company. Um, a clip of, essentially, Oprah on the morning show she was already on. And Oprah changed the emphasis of the show from traditional women's issues to, you know, current and controversial topics. And more like, again, the Oprah Winfrey show. Um, and yeah, as you said, she did wonders for the ratings. And in one month, the show actually went from last in the ratings in, Chicago, in the Chicago area um, to equaling... Donahue's ratings and three months later had higher ratings Mm. and Phil Donahue actually relocated the show to New York as a response to this Um, so making waves Um, and in September 1985 the show was renamed the Oprah Winfrey show and extended from I think it was from half an hour to an hour Um, and so the Oprah Winfrey show was born Beautiful, and it's at this point that she kind of becomes this pop culture juggernaut. So, have you heard of Roger Ebert? 
Okay. So Roger Ebert is the most famous um, film critic of all time. Um, is he? I've not heard of him. He's name another film critic. Um, uh, Red Letter Media. <laughs> Fuck off. So Roger Ebert <laughs> is the most famous film critic, one of the most the most respected film critic of all time. Um, and it was actually him who convinced her to sign the syndication deal. Um, and he predicted that it would make, like, an incredible amount of revenue. I think he said, like, 40 times as much revenue as his TV show at the time. And um, spoke so highly of her. And you can just see her, like, becoming, even this early, kind of entrenched within the fabric of... Hollywood, in inverted commas, the fabric of the entertainment industry. Yeah. Um, and actually, so something significant happened in 1985. I'm going to put a pin in that for now and just carry on with the show because I've only got a little bit left on... Because this is, you know, toward the end of my research um, because this is sort of when she made it. Um, so in 1986, the Oprah Winfrey show began being televised nationally and was consistently holding double the viewership of the Phil Donahue show around this time. And again, she was discussing controversial topics, but there were several notes about how she did a show and that she refused to discuss a topic for more than one show. Um, she had a lot of... New- she was credited for being one of the first hosts to host a homosexual couple on a television show. Thanks, Oprah. Which, you know, yeah, I mean... <laughs> like, you, you talk a lot... Well, you've alluded a lot to her being this cultural icon and this almost... I don't know, civil rights activist, but in this sort of popularising kind of way. She just infiltrated. Yeah, she, just she took the issues out of the shadows. Said, I'm here. And by doing that, created a space for people like her, but also established herself so much that she was able to take these risks and able to put herself at the forefront. Thank you. That's what I was trying to say, but my word's no good. <laughs> but yeah, so 1986, the Open Wolf shows televised nationally, and in the first year, it reportedly made $125 million, of which Oprah got $30 million. Um, so she is raking in the big bucks. And also, in 1986, she received an award from the Chicago Academy for Arts for unique contributions to the city's artistic community and was named a Woman of Achievement by the National Organization of Women. Get it, Woman of Achievement. Oh, yes. Okay, and um, if you'll let me now, before I basically hand over to you to discuss her cultural impact... Okay. I'd, I'd like to jump back to 1985. Hit me with 1985. So, in 1985, a producer by the name of Quincy Jones was visiting Chicago on business and happened to see Oprah on TV in his hotel room and decided that she was perfect for a role in his upcoming movie, The Colour Purple. Now, Oprah had only acted outside of school or college once, which was in a play at a theatre festival in 1978. But, essentially, he just thought she would be perfect for it. And, you know, having okayed her for the role with the co-producer, one Mr. Steven Spielberg, um, Oprah was hired for this film, and uh, Quincy sort of trained her up for the role and, you know, walked through it and everything. And at age 31, in her first film appearance, 
Oprah won a Los Angeles Film Critics Association Best Supporting Actress Award, a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress, and an Oscar for the Best Supporting Actress. Fuck yeah, she did. Like, holy fucking crap. A talented um, fucking woman. Yeah. Um, Have you yeah. read a color pu- the, the Color Purple? No. You should. Should I? I've read the blurb, and while I don't deny that it sounds very powerful and important, I don't think it's something that would grab me. It's one of the most important, beautifully written, like, transcendent books ever written. Okay, I've also not read To Kill a Mockingbird, though. (laughs) Because I just couldn't get into it. (laughs) Well, uh, the novel is better. Much better. You know, I'll, I'll... I'll bear that in mind, um, and if I ever see it on Kindle Daily Deals, I'll uh, <laughs> I'll snatch it up. <laughs> okay, great, awesome. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's all these iconic books, and it's I sympathise greatly with the issues, and I, I understand they are important cultural icons. But if they don't grab me, I struggle to get through a book I'm not enjoying. I find it nigh on impossible. You know, it, it's it's not like oh, just read it and then you know, for the sake of having read it, I I need to be gripped. Of course, yeah, yeah. I just, I, I think it's a book that everyone should read. Yeah. If only there were a film version that were more accessible. <laughs> oh, wait! <laughs> um. So, yeah, so we've kind of covered the origins of Oprah, I suppose. The way in which she entered and established herself um, in the entertainment industry. Um, And I think the kind of second half of Oprah's life is something that we all really kind of know a lot about. Um, It's it's impossible to know anything about pop culture without knowing Oprah's name. Um, I can't imagine a person who has internet access or has ever watched TV who doesn't know of Oprah. Can I jump in really quickly? Yeah, huh? That being said, I'd actually never come across the Oprah Winfrey show or anything. And, you know, as you know, here we both live in Britain. So you, it, I don't think it was ever televised here. Mm. But to be honest, I know Oprah just through, as you say, prevalence in, you know, pop media. Um, and I think yeah, initially she's... from Drake and Josh. Uh... <laughs> sure, but like, that's, you know, that sounds like kind of stupid, like, as like an afterthought. But like, some people know her from like, that sort of thing people know her from the Meghan and Harry interview the like sort of generation like after ours know her maybe from A Wrinkle in Time like people all know her from something different what's A Wrinkle um, in Time it's a film that came out yeah. I think in like 2018 it was directed by Ava DuVernay it was fine um all of Ava DuVernay's other work is better but like it was it was it was good um but kind of the the point that I'm trying to make is she permeates pop culture in a way that I think is so fascinating and I think really is worth kind of digging into a little bit. Yeah. Um, and it's difficult to say why it is that she's become such an important name, such an important figure in popular culture. But what I think personally... And this is just my opinion. Um, I think, you know, we've covered the facts. She 
um, hosted the Oprah Winfrey show. She became an actress. She became a kind of political commentator. She became um, a billionaire. The Oprah Winfrey show ran from 1986 to 2011. You know, that 25 seasons of this show. Um, Ooh, during which, sorry, I want to jump in because this is just a fact that I didn't read from somewhere. I compiled the information. Hit me. Um, the Oprah Winfrey show was nominated for a Daytime Emmy Award every year it ran from 1987 to, um, well, 1987 to 2012 when the uh, when they were awarded because it's the following year. Um, a fun fact, my fr- Oh, no, carry on. Oh, yeah, there's more. And won at least one on all bar three of those years. Oh, get it, gal. So, fun fact, my friend Chloe's dad um, is, in fact, an Emmy winner <gasps> because he did the lighting for the Oprah Winfrey show. Ah, I forgot to tell you my fun fact. <laughs> Hit me with your fun fact. Okay, so you know my mate Tobias? Mm-hmm. Oh. He was held by Oprah as a baby. Bitch, so was my friend Chloe. There's a photo. Really? There's a there's a photo of her as a two year old with Oprah. Holy shit! Did Oprah just go around holding babies? Um, Maybe. Yeah, Tobias's Tobias's dad was her gardener. Oh shit! Um, and yeah, and like they 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 were, they were like they were basically well essentially friends. Um, and like. She got along with him quite well because I think he did like humanitarian work in Africa, like agricultural advisement or something along those lines. Um, and she was looking at doing like a support program with his help out there. Um, and yeah, like she, like he flew to Chicago to like see her in our offices a couple of times too. That's incredible. Um, Do we think Chloe's dad and Tobias's dad know each other? <laughs> Is this Chole, by the way? Yeah. Oh, I Cl- ship Chloe and Tobias. What, Chloe from Chicago? <laughs> Chloe from Chicago has a very handsome boyfriend, but. Yeah. Well, we he do... might have an accident. <laughs> Don't say that. I feel really bad if he does. I'm going to cut this just in yeah, case. Please cut but I'm, I'm going to keep it because if he does have an accident, I'd quite like it as a... EST. Thing. We love you, Chloe from Chicago and also Tobias. Lovely people. We'll, we'll set them up. Um, so, yeah. So, I think for me personally, the number one reason I would give for why Oprah has become such a pop culture juggernaut is empathy. She popularised empathy as a primary aspect of popular culture. She got us to start seeing politicians and celebrities and actors as people. She showed what it was like to be a vulnerable, open person. You know, she was never this person who would demand openness from her guests but not give anything of herself she was always open and vulnerable herself and I think that that is you know there's so much that comes with Oprah's impact and I think you probably want to talk about the Obama election a little bit um but for me I think that kind of like popularization of empathy within pop culture is the thing that I feel is the most important thing that she did yeah, but that very much was her star. And you spoke about, like, you know, she wouldn't press her guests for information. But they felt inclined to give it. I, I don't know. It's just... I think there was something about the way she did it. It was just who she is as a person sort of drew these things out. Uh, I'd tell Oprah anything she wanted to know. I wouldn't. I'd give Oprah my firstborn. I wouldn't. 
Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, it's, Oprah. You wouldn't give uh, Oprah your firstborn? No. That's disappointing. Well, you know, I don't think Oprah had significantly positive uh, influences on her image of motherhood, and I don't think it would be fair to burden her with the weight of providing what she herself lacked growing up. I'm not, like, saying, here, Oprah, have my firstborn, you have to. I'm saying, if Oprah asked for my firstborn... I would tell her to fuck off. Wow. Uh, Wow. (laughs) You heard it at first, kid. Sid would tell Oprah to fuck off. Uh, That is actually the second time I've said that in this podcast. (laughs) Uh, So that's fun. Um, Yeah, in terms of Oprah supporting the Obama... Um, election. I don't actually. I sort of. I heard that in passing. I, I've not. I didn't actually make notes on that. Um, because so I just just to talk a little bit about how the sausage is made. How I tend to research a person is I find the cheapest audiobook I can <laughs> on someone's life as a biography. Um, if it's free, all the better. And I'll, on this note, I'd actually I'd like to recommend Scribder, who haven't sponsored us. This is an advertisement. I just really like them who are an audiobook, magazine, normal books, like, they've got a lot on them, like, digital service. Um, yes, it is Scribd, but yes. No, it's Scribd. Okay. Um, <laughs> Scribd, you sound ridiculous. But what's really nice about them is that, as opposed to, say, Kindle or Audible, you don't outrightly buy the individual product, the individual book, the individual audiobook, but you pay a monthly subscription and you can listen to anything on it. Now, it does have its limitations, whereas Audible.com has, I think, 200,000 audiobooks. Scribd only has about 40,000, so like a fifth of the amount. And it wouldn't be particularly useful to think, oh, I really want to listen to this book. I'll search that and listen to it. I think for people who listen to a lot of audiobooks, you go through a lot and that costs, you know, each one's like eight quid with an Audible subscription, which is ridiculous. Whereas you can listen to as many as there are on Scripture and you can always find something. And I love it. I might cut that spiel out, but, you know, use Scripture. It's like, you know, eight quid a month. So worth it. Um, but yeah, so I, I find an audiobook biography on someone, you know, however long that is. I uh, listen to it, you know, at work over the last like month. Um, possibly a couple of times so I have a basic timeline of their life in my head and then when I get home I like make notes on word on the key things from their life that I sort of remember and then I like look that up and find different sources for that and then sort of build on the things that I think are more interesting and more relevant to the sort of story of their lives we're trying to tell um, and so I sort of heard about her influence on the Obama election during this um, and that stuck in my head but I didn't actually write it down because as I said I sort of flamed out in about 1986 (laughs) okay so essentially it has been theorized that oprah winfrey's endorsement of obama in may of 2007 um and also her like appearances which began in 2007 uh december 2007 had an estimated um impact of over a million votes in the democratic primary sorry and like yeah <laughs> that, that I'd, I'd i'd heard about a million votes but i didn't want to say it because i couldn't remember if that was the right figure and then i couldn't find it quickly googling now she got a lot of criticism for this though 
But I think the fact that she's consistently been open about her convictions made people respect her and made people trust her. So when she came out and made this statement of support um, for this relatively kind of unknown, sort of lower profile, less experienced politician in this primary, um, it really made a difference. It must be said, though. As I say, so, like, people criticised her afterwards and, like, you know, that it wasn't right that she used her popular appeal to do this. Um, but then also her... I think her ratings fell by... Yeah, here we go. Her ratings fell by 7% after in, uh, endorsing Obama. Mad. Um, but she got a lot of criticism because she'd had Obama on the show. Um, but this is before he was running as a presidential candidate. Um... And, like, she refused to have other presidential candidates on the show, but she'd had Obama on, but that was before he was a presidential candidate. Um, and so, yeah, she got a lot of shtick for that, basically. Um, so I have, a, I have a quote that I'd like to end with um, that I did get initially from Wikipedia, but then went on to research more. Um, but there's just, like, kind of one bone that I'd like to pick with Oprah. Before we go on to that, if that's okay with you. Yeah, 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 of course. So, Oprah has been credited with making Dr. Phil into a household name. And I don't like Dr. Phil. I really don't like Dr. Phil. <laughs> um, I think he's self-righteous and kind of a piece of shit. And I... I'm anti, I would say, Dr. Phil. Well, um, if... Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, but if I might just jump in here. The thing is, Oprah, she sort of got to this point where everything she did, you know, sort of was really well taken and the public just snapped it up. When she ran the book club, like, she could get sales of, like, 100,000 books, I think it was, just by, like, recommending the book in a book club. And I think you, we have to realise that, you know, if, if everything you touch turns to gold, at some point you're going to have to wipe your ass. <laughs> That's a horrible phrase. I just made it up, but I quite like it. I <laughs> um, it. Um, yes, I, <laughs> I agree. And Dr. Phil. I, I don't want to 100% blame Oprah for Dr. Phil, but I would just like to say, Oprah, we sure. If you want to know Ooh. why I have such a specific problem with Dr. Phil, please watch um, Squirmy and Grubs on YouTube have a video um, called Why We Turned Down Dr. Phil um, and Colin Charisma, um, who are also YouTubers, have a video um, talking about, about Dr. Phil, um, about his statements about like um, interable relationships, and you should watch it. But He has got a very good moustache. He does have a lovely moustache. But do you know who also has a lovely moustache? Phil Harvey. No, not Phil Harvey. Steve Harvey. <laughs> And he seems like a nice man. Who's Steve Harvey? He's a game show host. Yeah. What okay. game show does he host? This isn't relevant. So, yes, your Oprah <laughs> quote. So, um, I think, obviously, we haven't dug too deep into um, the more recent years of Oprah's life and kind of the specifics of what she did with her career because for us, um, looking at her childhood and kind of how she established herself is maybe the more kind of interesting part and it's kind of what we're here to do um but we might i think possibly if this episode's well received come back to oprah 
um, later on once we've done a few more episodes and once we're a little bit more experienced and kind of come back and, and talk about her and her cultural impact a little bit more deeply. Um, so the quote that I wanted to end on is um, a quote from Vanity Fair. Um, Oprah Winfrey arguably has more influence on the culture than any university, president, politician or religious leader except perhaps the Pope. And what I'd like to say on that is, Oprah, I think you can do it. Please overtake the Pope. <laughs> um, fair enough. And that's been our episode on Oprah Winfrey. Wait, wait, wait. Before we do that, <laughs> I just leave a second silence and I'm going to cut this in somewhere else because I feel like I should have said it. And actually, as of 2021, um, she has an estimated net worth of $2.7 billion. US dollars, uh, which is about 1.94 billion Great British pounds. That's that was a lot it. of fucking money. That was important information. <laughs> okay, um, cool. And that's we all done? we have time for this week. Um, this has been our episode on Oprah Winfrey. I'd give her a 9 out of 10 on my Fate Escape scale. Did she lose one for Phil, for Dr. Phil? No, you just you can't ever rate anything ten out of ten. Okay, great. You've got to think of it like the end of a graph, you know, um, sort of asymptotically approaching. I don't know what that word means, so I'd like to end this episode. <laughs> um, fair enough. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email at thefateescapepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at thefateescapepod. If you want a response from Sid, uh, email us. If you want a response from me, hit us up on Instagram. Take that information and do with it what you will. I'd Instagram scares me. <laughs> <laughs> so, bye. yeah. Thank you. Oh, bye. I just, I just said bye, Ola. You're still talking. Bye. Bye. <laughs>